Good morning, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We're so thankful that we can gather openly and freely and worship you today and share our faith with our neighbors. And we remember in prayer and lift up before you today the persecuted church, those that are going through unbelievable persecution and can't do what we're doing here today. Holy Spirit, fall fresh on the persecuted church. May their suffering lead to the greater advancement of the gospel throughout the world. And Father, we pray just like you turned Paul, a persecutor, into an apostle, so you would change persecutors and draw them to faith and and use them to help spread the gospel around the world. And Father, as we watch the courage of the persecuted church around the world, may we be encouraged. Holy Spirit, fall fresh on us that we would want to take greater risk in our own country to advance the gospel. We pray as we open up your word together today that you would forgive the one who speaks for his sins are many. And Holy Spirit, that you would help us to see Jesus. And we would find that as we see Jesus today, we have to go out and share with others what we learned today. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Today's message is called, Jesus is not ashamed of her. And where that comes from, I want to show you a picture Um, It's 2008, opening ceremonies of the Olympic game, the bird's eye nest. The the Chinese girl on the left is the one who appears to be singing in the opening ceremony, but she's not really singing. Uh, The one on the right is singing. The one on the right had this beautiful voice that they wanted to represent China, but the Chinese government was embarrassed with how the other girl looked. How would you like that? That we'd like your voice, but your face we're ashamed of will get someone else. So during the opening ceremony, the girl on the left was lip syncing while the girl on the right was actually singing because her country was ashamed of her. And... um, What we're going to be learning about today is that's not like Jesus because when we believe in Jesus, he takes our shame away. And I've got some really, really good news for you. Here's what we're going to focus in on today, that Jesus is not ashamed to call us his sisters and brothers. Isn't that great that Jesus isn't ashamed of us? Uh, That that he's not ashamed to call us his sisters and and brothers? If you have your Bible... Turn with me to Genesis 38. If you're new, welcome. We're so glad. We're learning that God has a plan to save the world, and his plan is to bless a people and then to use that people to be a blessing to all the nations. And and that people was Israel, and, and one of their descendants would be Jesus who would help bring salvation to all the nations. And we're now a part of that people, that God has blessed us so that we could be a blessing to all the nations. We've been getting to know a man named Jacob, and Jacob had, uh, he had 12 sons by four different wives. When we left off the last time, we were looking at Joseph, and we'll pick up with him next week. But if you look on one of Leah's sons, the fourth son that Jacob had and the fourth son of Leah was Judah. Today's story is about Judah. So <clears throat> that sets us up. For Genesis 38, verse 1. And uh, it's really good to bring your Bible and follow along. And if you don't, you can follow on the screens. But it's, it's good to have your own Bible. 
And it came about at that time that Judah departed from his brothers and sisters and visited a certain Adelamite whose name was Hira. Judah saw there a daughter of a certain Canaanite whose name was Shua, and he took her and went into her. So Judah goes and he marries a Canaanite woman, and, and this doesn't tell us her name, but the Bible's one story, so we do pick up her name in 1 Chronicles. In 1 Chronicles chapter 2, look at verse 3. The sons of Judah were Ur, Onan, and Shelah. These three were born to him by Bat-Shua. Have any Jewish friends? Uh, when, when the boy's 12, they have a bar mitzvah. And when the girl is 12, they have a bat mitzvah, right? Because that means daughter of. So his wife's name was Bat-Shua, the daughter of Shua. Nice name, huh? Back in, in uh, chapter 38, so she conceived and bore a son, and he named him Ur. Then she conceived again and bore a son and named him Onan. She bore still another son and named him Shelah, and it was at Chezeb that she bore him. Now Judah took a wife for Er, his firstborn, and his name was Tamar. Now this chapter is over a long period of time. Matter of fact, going back to Joseph, from the time Joseph was sold as a slave in Egypt in, uh, and to when he, Jacob was reunited with him was 22 years. So, so this chapter is taking place over a considerable amount of time. And Judah picks out a wife for his firstborn son, and her name is Tamar. But Er, Judah's firstborn, was evil in the sight of the Lord, so the Lord took his life. So God took Er's life. Then Judah said to Onan, Go into your brother's wife and perform your duty as a brother-in-law to her and raise up offspring for your brother. So I want you to marry your brother's wife and raise up an offspring for him. And we say, what? Listen, that was the practice then. Later it would become law. Look at this in Deuteronomy 25. This is called the Leveret Law. When brothers live together and one of them dies and has no son, the wife of the deceased shall not be married outside the family to a strange man. Her husband's brother shall go into her and take her ass to himself as a wife and perform the duty of a husband's brother to her. Very important that a family continue its name. So if a brother died without a son, his brother was to marry her and then raise up a son and the firstborn son would be named after the brother who died. It was also a great way to take care of a widow when she was older. So back in Genesis 38, Onan knew that the offspring would not be his, so when he went into his brother's wife, he wasted his seed on the ground in order not to give offspring to his brother. He was quite willing to have sex with his brother's wife, but he didn't want to have a son that would bear his name. But what he did... I was displeasing in the sight of the Lord, so he took his life also. Then Judah said to his daughter-in-law, Tamar, Remain a widow in your father's house until my son Shelah grows up. For he thought, I am afraid that he too may die like his brothers. Now he's, beginning, he's lost two sons to Tamar. He's beginning to think she's kind of a black widow, right? And so he says, why don't you leave my family? Why, why don't you go back to your father's house? And when my son, uh, when my son Sheila grows older, I'll call for you, okay? Don't call us, we'll call you. 
So Tamar went and lived in her father's house. Now after a considerable time, Shua's daughter, Bathsheba, the wife of Judah, died. And when the time of mourning was ended, Judah went up to his sheep shearers at Timnah, he and his friend Hira the Adalamite. Say sheep shearers like 10 times in a row, right? And I want you to know the sheep shearing festival would be similar to Mardi Gras that there would be lots of booze and lots of women when you went up to shear your sheep. It was told to Tamar, behold, your father-in-law is going up to Timnah to shear his sheep. So she removed her widow's garments and covered herself with a veil and wrapped herself and sat in the gateway of Enaim, which is on the road to Timnah, for she saw that Shelah had grown up and that she had not been given him as a wife. So Tamar's figured this out. Uh, Judah has no intention of keeping his word and giving her Shelah as a husband, so she comes up with her own plan. When Judah saw her, he thought she was a harlot, for she had covered her face. Uh, We're going to find out a little later in the story. He thought she was a temple prostitute. And, And you say, what? Yeah, they had temple prostitutes that when you went to worship, you would get drunk and have sex. And they believed that that would make the gods really, really happy and that they would bless your crops. Um, Religion was quite popular in those days, at least for men, right? Ladies, you have a hard time getting your your husbands to church? Not, Not so much there, okay, because there were temple prostitutes, and that's what Judah thought Tamar was. Um, when Judah, Judah saw her, he thought she was a harlot, for she had covered her face. So he turned aside to her by the road and said, Here now, let me come into you. Let's have sex. For he did not know that she was his daughter-in-law, didn't recognize her because she was veiled. And she said, What will you give me that you may come into me? He said, Therefore I will send you a young goat from the flock. She said, Moreover, Will you give a pledge until you send it? What will you give so that I can know you're going to follow through? He said, what pledge shall I give you? And she said, your seal and your cord and your staff that is in your hand. The seal, the cord, and the staff, it would be like giving someone your wallet today. It would be what would identify you, like giving them your wallet with your license and your credit cards, okay? So he gave them to her and went into her, and she conceived by him. Then she arose and departed and removed her veil and put on her widow's garments. When Judah saw, sent the young goat by his friend, the Adalamite, to receive the pledge from the woman's hand, he did not find her. He asked the men of the place, saying, where is the temple prostitute? That's where we know she disguised herself as a temple prostitute. Where is the temple prostitute who was by the road at Enaim? But they said, there has been no temple prostitute here. So he returned to Judah and said, I did not find her. And furthermore, the men of the place said, there has been no temple prostitute here. Then Judah said, let her keep them. Otherwise, we will become a laughingstock. After all, I sent the young goat, but you did not find her. Now, it was about three months later that Judah was informed, your daughter-in-law, Tamar, has played the harlot. And behold, she is also with child by harlotry. Then Judah said, bring her out and let her be burned. 
Might there be a little bit of a double standard here? That it was okay for Judah to engage in sex outside of marriage, but not his daughter-in-law? It was while she was being brought out that she sent to her father-in-law, saying, I am with child by the man to whom these things belong. And she said, Please examine and see whose signet ring and cords and staff are these. Judah recognized them and said, She is more righteous than I, inasmuch as I did not give her to my son Shelah, and he did not have relations with her again. Listen, the New Testament has teachings, and the Old Testament illustrates it. I mean, don't a lot of people today, they want to quote about, Do not judge, lest you be judged. So, so let's look at Matthew 7 and see if Judah and Tamar aren't a perfect illustration of this. Remember when Jesus said, do not judge so that you will not be judged? No, notice what Jesus said. For in the way you judge, you will be judged, and by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. So what did Judah, what did he want to do with Tamar? He wanted her what? Burned because of immorality, right? And what would that mean for Judah? He should be what? burned too because he was immoral as well. So notice what Jesus said, why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye? Was there a speck in Tamar's eye? Was there? Yes. But notice he says, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye. Was there a log in, in Judah's eyes? Yes. You see, here's the log. With Judah, both the attitude of his heart, his motives were wrong. He didn't want to keep his word to, to Tamar, and his actions were wrong to engage in sex outside of marriage. But when you get to Tamar, her motives were right. She wanted to raise up a son after her husband, and that was a right motive, but her actions were wrong, right? Be careful, Jesus says, before we go and condemn others, right? Right? Make sure you take the speck out of your eye before you try and do eye surgery on someone else. Back to the story, verse 27. It came about at the time when she was giving birth that, behold, there were twins in her womb. Moreover, it took place while she was giving birth. One put out a hand, and the midwife took and tied a scarlet thread on her hand, saying, This one came out first. But, but it came about as he drew back his hand that, behold, his brother came out. Then she said, what a breach you have made for yourself. So he was named Perez. After his brother came out, who had the scarlet thread on his hand, and he was named Zerah. <coughs> Smiley, let me make sure I get this correct. This is the family of God, right? Right? And we have Judah, who has sex with his daughter-in-law, Tamar, Right? Uh, and, and, and he thinks she's a prostitute, right? And they have a son named Perez, and Perez is in the line of the genealogy of Jesus. Correct. That's the story. Now, I see several of you just sitting back in your seats, and you're saying, this is going to be really fun. This is going to be really fun. Okay, Smiley, why don't you explain to me why this story is in the Bible, right? Um, listen, that's why I get paid the big bucks, right? <laughs> to explain to you why Genesis 38 is in the Bible, okay? Listen, a lot of people believe the Bible is a collection of inspirational stories that when you're kind of down and discouraged, you just pick up the Bible and you read a story, like the story of Judah and Tamar, and you get encouraged and inspired, right? Like, be like Judah, right? Or be like Tamar. Is, is that it? No, 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 no. The, the Bible is not 
an inspirational storybook of all these stories given to inspire us. The Bible from beginning to end is one story. It's one story. And the one story of the Bible is the gospel. Why is Genesis 38 in here? Because this chapter teaches us, first of all, that Jesus seeks and saves the lost. The whole thing we've learned in Genesis is there's only one good person. It's not Judah. It's not Tamar. It's not you. It's not me. It's Jesus, right? The bad news of the gospel, we all have a problem called sin. As we read the story, uh, did Judah sin? You guys awake? Did Judah sin? Did Tamar sin? We all have. A lot of us, and, and I invite you, pick up a study. We've been reading through the New Testament together. It's so good when we read the same thing. And this very week, we read through James. Didn't you enjoy James? And look, look in James 2, verse 10. Notice this. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in one point, he's become guilty of all. There's only one good person because if we've ever sinned once, we miss the mark. I think something we don't understand is sin is very personal. Let me help you here a little bit. Uh, how many times would your wife have to be unfaithful to you before you called her, what, an adulterer, right? If you're a young person, how many times would your parents have to lie to you before you call them what? A liar. If you own a business, how many times would a customer need to steal from you before you call them what? Wouldn't it just be, what, just once, wouldn't it be? So it is with God, that we have sinned against God, not just once, but over and over and over again, and we're in huge trouble. That's the bad news. But listen, the good news is so, so good. Look at Luke 19. Why did Jesus come? For the Son of Man has come to help good people get better? Is that what it's, that's what many people think. No, no, for the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was lost. We were lost in our sins. Help us to save ourselves so the greatest rescue mission ever happened. God the Son put on flesh, came to earth, and lived a perfect life because none of us could, went to the cross, took our sins upon himself, died for our sins, rose on the third day, and offers us salvation. He offers to save us from our sin and from everlasting death so that we could do life and eternity with him. And what does he require of us? Romans 10, 9. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You see, believing in Jesus starts inside of us, but it works out our mouths, right? It starts in our hearts, and then it's something we confess. And, and we love to say that it's as simple as A, B, C, that all involves the heart, and it all involves the mouth. It starts when we admit with our mouths that we're sinners. Have you ever done that? Jesus, I've sinned against you, and I'm sorry. And if you haven't, won't you? And then, then, then we believe. With our lips, we say, Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for my sins and rose. And if you haven't, won't you? And, and then with our lips, we commit to Jesus as Savior and Lord. Jesus, I want you to be my Savior and forgive me and give me eternal life. I want you to be the Lord of my life. Help me be the person you want me to be. If you haven't, won't you? And if you have, 
Why is Genesis 38 in the Bible? Because Jesus seeks and saves the lost. And if you believe in him, then you are saved. That if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Why is Genesis 38 in the Bible? Because not only does Jesus seek and save the lost, but the gospel teaches from cover to cover that Jesus loves to work through the most unlikely people to save the world. He loves to walk through the most unlikely people. Imagine if Jesus only worked through amazing people. You and I would say, well, we can't make a difference, but look who he works through. He picked Abraham, a nobody, and made him the father of all belief. And he picked Jacob. He was the younger of twins. There was no reason to choose him, but God chose him to make a difference in the world. Uh, <laughs> Jesus chose Judah, Tamar, and through them, he helped bring salvation to the world. We come to the New Testament. The first people in the New Testament to carry the news of the birth of Jesus were the first people to announce the birth of Jesus were shepherds. And you know what shepherds were, don't you? They were the lowest, lowest in society. The first people to announce the birth of Jesus were nobodies. <laughs> And then we come to Peter. Don't you love Peter? Speak first, think later, right? Man, you ever like that? I am, that's who Jesus chose. And then, do you know who the first to carry the message of the resurrection were? Who were the first people to announce his resurrection? Who? The women. And in that society, they were nobodies, but they were given the first opportunity. And then there was Paul, a murderer who became an apostle. And there's me. And there's you. Did you know that every year there's a Major League Soccer draft and they never call my name? <laughs> Did you know that? And, and every year there's an NFL draft and no one calls my name. But there is one person who wanted me on his team. And there is one person who wants your name on, he wants you on his team. And uh, listen to this, J John 15, 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you. Maybe at, you know, uh, <clears throat> whenever there was a game, you were the last one picked. Listen, Jesus wants you on his team because Genesis 38 is there to teach us that Jesus loves to work through the most unlikely people like Judah and Tamar and you and me. You did not choose me, but I chose you. Why? And appointed you that you would go and bear fruit. Jesus says, I wanted you on my team so that you could go and win people to Christ, that you could go and make disciples who could make disciples and that your fruit would remain so that you wouldn't waste your life on things that don't really matter, that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give to you. <laughs> I love reading about Judah and Tamar because I am such a mess, and they're such a reminder to me that Jesus works through the most unlikely people to bring salvation to the nations. Aren't you glad? And um, so listen, why is Genesis 38 there? It's all gospel that Jesus seeks and saves the lost, and and that Jesus loves to work through the most unlikely people. And, and then where I want us to spend most of the time is Jesus is not ashamed to call us his sisters and brothers. Um, maybe a lot of people today, you know, they want to do their DNA and they do their ancestry. Can you imagine you're sitting down with your kids or your grandkids? Do you think you tell them about Judah and Tamar, do you? I mean, if you found out that your great, 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 great grandfather 
had sex with your great-great-great-grandmother, you might not share that story. Wouldn't that be true? Have you ever read how the New Testament starts? Here's how the New Testament starts. Matthew 1.1, the record of the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. China was ashamed to, put the picture, to let the one girl sing. And Jesus starts his story. This is my great-great-grandfather, Judah. And this is my great-great-grandmother, Tamar. And they had a son named Perez. And I came through them. <laughs> Isn't that amazing that Jesus was not ashamed of Judah or Tamar? Oh, for those of us who've been reading through the Bible this year, we recently read through Hebrews. And, and what really inspired the point of the message today, when we got to Hebrews chapter 2, verse 11, this, this verse just jumped off the page for me. For both he who sanctifies, that's our big brother Jesus, and those who are sanctified, that's us, for both he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified are all from one Father, for which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren. Jesus isn't ashamed to call us his brothers and sisters. Does that blow you away? Uh, we have two daughters. Um, we have four boys in between, but the two daughters, our oldest and youngest, 11 years apart, there uh, are there are two girls, our bookends, and someone in our church had a great idea many years ago to give them the same dress. And one day, we made Lydia wear the same dress. That's her 11-year younger sister. And she was so ashamed to be dressed the same. Isn't it nice to know that our big brother is not ashamed of us? Isn't that amazing? He is not ashamed to call us his sisters and brothers. We talked a little earlier about salvation. And, and I want to help you understand what that means, that when we believe in Jesus, we're saved. So I want to show you a picture. I haven't shown it to you a while, for a while. I call it the umbrella of salvation. Now, it's hard to see, but the handle is called salvation. And I want you to know that salvation is so much more than what most of us think it is. Salvation is the whole umbrella. It's all the panels. When we talk about being saved, that involves our justification and adoption and sanctification and glorification. And I know those are big words, but you're smarter than the average congregation and you can hang with me, okay? Notice salvation begins with justification. What that big word means is we're justified, we're made right with God through faith in Christ alone. The moment we believe in Jesus, He takes all of our sins and we're forgiven, and He gives us His righteousness, and, and we're right with God, we're justified by faith. But listen, that's a legal term. It's a little cold. But the next term is adoption. That's warm. That's relational. Listen, after the judge pardons us, He invites us home for dinner. He welcomes us as a table. Oh, you say it couldn't be. Don't you remember the story? Don't you remember the story of the two sons and the younger son took the money and what? Well, he, he ran, wasted all the money. Then he said, what? My father's servants, what, are, they're, um, they live better than this. If I go home, maybe 
maybe daddy will let me be a servant. But what happened when he turned toward home? What the father, what he ran to him and welcomed him home? That's adoption. Listen, we're not just pardoned and left out there somewhere. We're invited to the table. And because of adoption, there's sanctification. When we're adopted, we're given the Holy Spirit who shows us how amazing our big brother is and says, don't you want to be like him? So we become more and more like our big brother because we're a part of the same family. And then that leads to glorification, which is one day we're going to be made like our big brother. But as we walk through that, what's really the high? What's really the high? The high of our salvation is adoption. It's amazing to be pardoned, to be declared righteous, but to be welcomed to the table. Listen to what the Bible says. See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we would be called children of God. God's not ashamed to call us his children. Jesus is not ashamed to call us his little sisters and brothers. See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we would be called children of God and such we are. We are adopted right now. That's what salvation means. For this reason, the world does not know us because it did not know him. We shouldn't be surprised when the world doesn't like us, didn't like our big brother even. Beloved, who are we? We're the beloved of God now. We are children of God. That's adoption. And it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when he appears, we will be like him. That's glorification. It's going to happen. He's going to finish the work that he started in us because we will see him just as he is. So between adoption, becoming a part of the family, and and glorification, when we see him and become like him, what's in between is sanctification, right? And what does it say? And everyone who has this hope fixed on him. Let me go back. I'm a southern here. Fixed on him. Purifies himself just as he is pure. Uh, When we know we're a part of the family and one day we're going to be made like Jesus, between now and then, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we seek to become more and more like our big brother. So... Why is Genesis 38 in the Bible? Because the Bible is one story, and it reminds us that Jesus seeks and saves the lost, that Jesus works through the most unlikely people to accomplish his his work in the world, and thirdly, that Jesus isn't ashamed to call us his sisters and brothers. So now, we're going to turn a corner, and, and, and I'm going to give you your assignment from the week. I've taught you Jesus isn't ashamed of you, and so your assignment this week is do not be ashamed of Jesus. Do not be ashamed of Jesus, and I want you to know all action steps are not created equal. Sometimes they come right from the Bible, and when they come right from the Bible, they're the best. As does this. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, Paul is about to die And he's exhorting Timothy not to be ashamed of Jesus or the gospel. So in 2 Timothy 1, verse 8, he says, Therefore, do not be ashamed. Do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me as prisoners, but join with me in suffering for the gospel. Paul is exhorting Timothy to join the fellowship of the unashamed. And I am pleading with you today that you would join the fellowship of the unashamed, of the people who are not ashamed of the name of Jesus Christ or the gospel. 
I'm, he's exhorting him. He's exhorting him to join the fellowship of the suffering for the gospel. Because when we're unashamed about Jesus and we proclaim the gospel, we will experience two things, a hunger and a hostility. And Paul is telling us, listen, it's worth it to suffer for Christ and the gospel so that people can be saved. Join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity. Do you realize we're surrounded by people who think they've come from nothing and they're headed to nothing? But we know before the world was even created, God knew us. And he had a purpose for our lives now and forever. Wow. Who has saved us and called us uh, with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity, but now has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. <laughs> Do you believe that? Do you believe that Jesus abolished death? Do you believe that there's a cure for death, and it's the gospel, and it brings life, and it brings immortality to all who believe? Do you know anybody who wants to live forever? Do you? Listen, Jesus has entrusted to us the gospel, which is the cure for death. Our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher. And in the same way, we're, we're appointed to be his, his witnesses here. For this reason, I also suffer these things, but I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed. He says, I know Jesus, do you? And I know the power of the gospel, do you? And I'm convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. He says, I'm a Christian. I know Jesus and I know I can't lose because to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul belonged to the fellowship of the unashamed. Will we join it? Here's what I want you to do this week. I'd love for you each day to start your day with Jesus. And just start with verse 12 here. And, and pray this verse for this reason I also suffer these things, but I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he's able to guard what I've entrusted to him until that day. What I want you to do is to read the verse and then pray the verse. I want you to say, thank you, Jesus, that you're not ashamed to call me your little brother or sister. And thank you, Jesus, that you were willing to suffer for me. Thank you. And then will you say, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, help me uh, to, to not be ashamed of Jesus today. Help me to be a part of the fellowship of those who suffer for the gospel. So, so I want you to, to look at Jesus and thank him and pray, and then I want you to go out and live an unashamed life. And, and I'm going to help you. I want to ask you a question. When water is a little cooler than you like, when water is a little cooler than you like, with me that means it's under 80 degrees, how do you get in? Are you one of those who just kind of inch in or do you dive in? I'm a diver. 
It's way too painful to inch in. But some of you are inchers, so if you'd like to inch in to the unashamed life, I'm going to give you a couple ideas of how you can inch in, okay? One way you can inch in to the fellowship of the unashamed is, is if you're out to eat this week, um, listen, and, and you've always been ashamed, why not say a blessing for your food? Now, now, don't stand up and tell everybody in the restaurant to be quiet, okay? But you, when you bow your head and pray in a restaurant, you're saying, I belong to the fellowship of the unashamed. And I'm, not, I'm unashamed to, to know Jesus and to acknowledge my need of him. That's a great way. You know, another way you could inch into the fellowship of the unashamed, you could take your Bible with you to lunch and put it on the table and maybe read it. Take it with you to school. What? You have your Bible? Take it with you to work. Let someone see you reading it. Show people that you belong to the fellowship of the unashamed. That's a way you can inch into it. You're a diver? Give me more. I just want to get, un- I want to get wet all at one time, okay? Now here's what I want you to do is just to, if you want to dive in, is just share with someone this week what we learned in church on Sunday. That's all I want you to do. And, and, and listen, you'll dive right in with that. Do you know anyone who's filled with shame? Do you? Do you know this week I'm having lunch with a man and he says, I have wandered so far from Jesus and so far from the church. Could I come back? Do you know how good it was to share with him? Jesus is not ashamed of his sisters and brothers. Sure, you're welcome. Who do you think the church is for? It's not for good people. It's for broken people. They even let me in. Do you know anybody who's filled with shame? Wouldn't they love to hear what you learned today, that when we believe in Jesus, he takes away our shame, and and no matter how much we mess up, he's not ashamed to call us his brothers and sisters. Um, how, how about, do you know anybody who's really messed up their life or their family and they just think, man, my family is just so messed up? Uh, wouldn't they love to hear what you learned about today? Wouldn't they, won't you go to them and say, hey, listen, if you think your life or your family's messed up, let me tell you about the family we learned about in church today. And you know what Jesus did with them? He forgave them, and he worked through them to help change the world. There's hope for you. There's hope for the family. Look at the families God puts in here. Um, Do you know anybody um, maybe who's been locked up in their home for eight months because they're so fearful of this virus? Do you know anybody? They're, they're fearful of death. Wouldn't they love to know there's a cure for death? Wouldn't, don't you think they'd like to know? Won't you go to them and say, hey, could I share with you what we learned in church on Sunday? In church on Sunday, we learned some, some good news, and that is you're not very likely to die from the coronavirus. But we also learned from bad news, you are going to die. All of us are. But then we heard some really, really good news. There is a cure for death. What if you opened up your Bible this week with someone and said, could I show you a verse? Could I show you a verse? And you just invited them to come and let them read for themselves verse 10. But now has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus who abolished death 
and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Don't you know someone who loved to know we can live forever by making one simple decision to put our faith in the one who was dead and is now alive? So this week, pretty simple assignment. Don't be ashamed of Jesus or the gospel. When you wake up in the morning, just spend time with him. And pray this verse, will you? For this reason I also suffer these things, but I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he's able to guard what I am entrusted to him until that day. And then thank the Lord, and then pray, and then go out. And whether you inch in or whether you dive in, let's all join this week the fellowship of the unashamed. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you would come to seek and save lost sinners like all of us. Thank you for living and dying and rising and offering us salvation. And listen, if you've never been saved, man, won't you? Won't you believe with your heart and then confess with your lips, won't you? Won't you say, Jesus, I've sinned against you and I'm sorry. And I believe you died on the cross for my sins and rose. And I, and I want you to come in and be my Savior and forgive me and give me eternal life. I want you to be Lord of my life. Help me be the person you want me to be. Listen, if you've done that for the first time, won't you mark it on your card and we'd love to celebrate with you. Jesus, for those of us who, who, who have been saved, we do want to thank you. Thank you that you were willing to suffer for us Thank you that you're not ashamed of us. Holy Spirit, fall fresh on us that this week we would join the fellowship of the unashamed, that we would live unashamed lives. Help us to see how precious the gospel is. It is the cure for death. And may we not keep it to ourselves, but may we share it with others. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen.